We open our Bibles today to Nehemiah chapter 1. I want to take a few minutes this morning to direct our attention to uh, the memoirs of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a, a great leader among the Jewish people. And as we begin 2020, we look at his writings and the great adventure of faith of rebuilding the walls, but also rebuilding the people. I've titled this, I would call it a mini-series, Let Us Rise Up and Build. In the second chapter, the 18th verse, when Nehemiah shared his heart with the people about what he felt like the Lord wanted to do, the people said, let us rise up and build. It's not just one or two leaders saying we need to do this, but I think significant things happen when all of God's people say, let us rise up and build. And so 2.18 is kind of our anchor for this. this would, I would call this a mini-series. It won't be exhaustive. It, it, it will be a little bit expository in nature, more textual and topical, brief in nature. But today I've titled this particular message in the overall series, The Man That God Uses. I can say it this way, the, the woman who God uses. I can say it this way, the church God uses. What kind of person does God use? We're going we're gonna to get an insight into Nehemiah, into the kind of person that the Lord uses. Now, Nehemiah was a great man of faith in the history of the Jewish covenant people. Some time ago, we were in Jerusalem and as we were walking over a bridge, our guide says, stop. And he said, I want you to look over the bridge and look down. And he said, what you're looking at there is the walls that Nehemiah and the Jewish people built in 52 days. You know, I look down at those walls and you say, Pastor, well, what, what was your kind of your initial feeling on all of that? I thought it looked very crude. I thought it looked very simple. I mean, it wasn't the hanging gardens of Babylon. It wasn't the pyramids of Egypt. They were just very simple rocks. But you know what it really was? It was a work of God. It was something that God told them to do. The wall of Nehemiah in that day, in, in, in the great scheme of everything that was going on in the world, seemed to be very, very significant in that day, and really very little thought of today. But I can tell you this, it mattered to God. It mattered to God, it mattered to his people. When people look at the church today, the church is either little thought of or laughed at. But what I want you to know is this, it matters to the Lord. What is happening in the church matters to the Lord. And I'll tell you this, when all the great buildings that men have made in their carnal thoughts, when all the great edifices that men stand in awe of, when all of those are crumbled, the church will still exist. And what God, listen, what God has established will last forever. Hebrews says it this way, Yet it indicates the removal of those things, the removal of those things, spider, <laughs> get behind me, Satan, <laughs> get out of my sermon, devil, 
Spider-Man. <laughs> he says, does that bother you? Nobody bothered him. Get out of here. Amen. Here's what the word of God says, that the things which cannot be shaken shall remain. What God does will never be shaken. And listen to me, what we're doing on this hill matters to the Lord. It may never get in the New York Times. It may never get in national news. But I'm telling you, it matters to the Lord what we're doing on this hill. Recently, I saw a biography of T.R. Roosevelt. <coughs> Could you get me some water, somebody, please? <coughs> T.R. Roosevelt, he's our 26th president. I've read many books by T.R. He's my favorite president. He stands as a great leader in our nation. I would describe him as unbending in principle, unbounding in energy, and undaunting in courage. We have never, till this moment, ever had a president like T.R. Roosevelt. Once he was on the campaign trail in Milwaukee, during a speech, he was shot. The bullet lodged about an inch from his heart. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. He, he refused to go to the hospital. He said, I will not go to the hospital until I finish my speech. Shot with a gun. He took off his jacket to show the crowd the blood. He said, here's where the bullet went in. He spoke for 90 minutes and then went to the hospital. The nation was in awe of a man like that. The nation was in awe of a man of unbending determination to do what he felt like he was called to do. During Mr. Roosevelt's presidency, he took on the big business barons, and they were terrified of him because they were taking advantage of the American people. During his presidency, he was a man of incredible energy. He dictated 150,000 letters. They, here's what they said about him. They said that he was followed by weary stenographers. He'd have two of them. He'd just wear them out every day. Thomas Jefferson is a great literary president. He wrote 20,000 letters. T.R. wrote 150,000 letters. We have our park service today, great environmental heritage today. T.R. Roosevelt read a book a day, and if he had time, he'd read three books a day. He, speed, he would speed read before anybody knew what that was. He was a great leader in our nation. Do you realize Nehemiah is like that kind of leader? Nehemiah holds that kind of sway and that kind of honor as a man who led the people of God into a very difficult task. And he did in 52 days with God's grace and God's help what no one else could do for year after year after year. He was a man that God used. Here's the background. Under Moses, God led the people out of Egypt God's intention, listen, what God wants to do and what happens usually is not the same thing. God's will is either very rarely done or slowly done among most people. It was God's intention that God bring the people out of Egypt under the, under the rod of Moses, and it was from Egypt's waters to Kadesh Barnea, the edge of the promised land, an 11-day journey. Forty years later, they're still wanting to get in. Because of their sin, because of their disobedience, 
They wandered around. They're relegated to wandering around, wandering around. There's a price to pay for sin. There's a price for paying, paying uh, a price to pay for ignoring the will of God. And it's usually higher than people want to pay. Forty years later, under Joshua, the people got under his leadership. Moses preached a great sermon. It's called Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Moses' last sermon. He preaches his last sermon, and, the, and just as the table of the Lord is about remembering, the book of Deuteronomy, the theme is remember, 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 remember. If you're going to go in, you've got to remember. The word of God doesn't change, and God led the people in to the promised land. But what they needed to know is getting, getting in the promised land is one thing. Staying in the promised land is another thing. Because to enjoy the blessing of God and to abide there and to live there and to enjoy that, you have to meet God's stipulations. You have to obey him. You have to not uh, uh, accept the idolatry of the other pagan nations, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, etc. And he warned them. But after time goes by, the human heart somehow it gets desensitized. Those warnings that were so real and so urgent don't seem so urgent anymore. And after time, they begin to compromise with the pagan nations. And they begin to embrace their idolatry. And in most cases, they didn't stop serving the Lord. They just added other gods to the Lord. It's kind of what the American people have done. We'll serve Jesus on Sunday. We'll serve all our other gods through the week. But let me tell you, you're either going to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, or strength, or he won't share his throne with anyone. If he's not first, he won't be second. You got it? If he's not first, he won't be second. And so after a time, idolatry becomes in. And guess what happens when sin comes in the church among the people of God? Every time, prophets begin to show up. God begin, God's begin, begins to anoint the prophets. And he sends an Isaiah, and he sends an Ezekiel, and he sends a Jeremiah, and he sends a mighty Elijah, and he begins to warn the people out of love. He begins to warn them that there's going to be consequences if we don't get rid of these idols and get back to God. But somehow there comes a moment, and no one really knows when it is, only the Lord knows when it is. There comes a moment when we cross the point of no return into God's chastisement. Now listen, I don't want to ever be chastised by the Lord. But there comes a time when the prophets have been ignored. And the prophets have spoken. And the prophets have warned. And the prophets have cried their tears. And the prophets have raised their voices in warning. There comes a point only known to the mind of God when there's like a point of no return. And then finally God said, enough is enough. I've warned you out of love. And in unbelief and in disobedience, you've rejected my word. You've persecuted my prophets. You're going, into the, you're going into captivity for 70 years. And Jeremiah comes to give them the news. You're going to Babylon. And they said, you're a traitor, Jeremiah. 
You're not a nationalist anymore. You don't love our nation. You, Babylon's hired you to say these things. And he said, no, I've heard from God. No matter what you do, even if you repent now, you cross the point of no return. You're going into captivity for 70 years. He suffered for his message. That's what happens when you give God's message. 70 years takes place. But when the prophets prophesied, it wasn't just doom and gloom. There was always hope that there would come a time when God would restore and when God would begin to bless again. And as the, as the end of that 70 years came, Daniel the prophet began to pray and began to remember the words of Jeremiah. And God began to stir the people again. And then God, as he's faithful to what he said he would do, he began to move the heart of King Cyrus and other great kings and the first group that went back after the 70 years was Zerubbabel, Joshua the high priest. And they went back to rebuild the broken down temple that the Babylonians had decimated. And then after him, some years later, a man called the second Moses. You know who the second Moses is? His name's Ezra. And Ezra goes back. And Ezra's passionate for the word of God. He's passionate for the law of God. Because he realized the people got in this mess because they disobeyed the word. So he goes and he teaches the law and he, he tries to revive the people. And then sometime later, in fact, 13 years later to be exact, God begins to stir someone in the palace of Susa. Susa was the palace, the winter palace of the Persian kings. It sets, it's set about 150 miles north of the Persian Gulf. And there's this man. His name is Nehemiah. And he's a cupbearer to the king. He has access to the king. He has the ear of the king. And he's a man that God is going to use to build the broken, to rebuild the broken down walls of Jerusalem. What kind of man does God use? What kind of man is Nehemiah? What kind of man is he? First of all, I want you to see this. God uses the man who cares. Do you hear that, church? God uses the man. God uses the woman. God uses the church, whoever they are, who cares deeply about his work, and about his cause. Listen to what happened in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hashaliah, and it came to pass in the months of Chislev, that's November, December time, in the 20th year, I was in Shushan, the citadel, and Hannah and I, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And he said to me, the survivors who were left in the captivity, of, uh, from the captivity in the province are in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem are also broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. So it was 
when I heard these words, I continued to watch ESPN to catch the latest scores. I had no time for such depressing news. No, that's not what it says. Are you with me, church? So it was when I heard these words. Now, who would write this about themselves? I sat down, and I wept, and I mourned for many days. What kind of God does man use? What kind of man does God use? What kind of church does God use? What kind of person does God use? God uses the kind of person who cares about his work. Nehemiah said, how are things going among the people of God? Listen, Nehemiah cared deeply about the Lord's people. He cared deeply about God's name, about God's city. If you want to know what a person cares about, just engage them in conversation for just a few minutes and you'll know. Because out of the abundance of heart, mouth speaks. What's in your heart will come out. Nehemiah, what was on his heart? The Lord's work. How's Jerusalem, Hananiah? I think he wanted to hear, the people are doing good. They're worshiping the Lord. The temple is coming along. The walls are up. The people are secure. Things are orderly. It's, there's progress being made. I think that's what he wanted to hear. Isn't that what we want to hear? That's what we want to hear in every church in America. But oh, how many broken down walls of ministry there are. Does anyone really care? During Paul's ministry, the great, listen, the great Apostle Paul. Do you know anyone in the scripture that cared as much as Paul did? A man that would say, for me to live is Christ, nothing else. In other words, I paraphrase, I have no reason to live but Christ. I have no reason to live but to pray. I have no reason to live but to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. I have no reason to live but to build up the body and to strengthen the church and to proclaim his name in the world. I have no reason to live outside of that. Paul had a hard time finding someone who cared about the Lord's interest because those type of people are very few in our world today and were few in his day. Listen to what he says in Philippians. I trust the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state for all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know, you know Timothy's proven character. As a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul said, I don't have many, but I have one. I have one, my spiritual son, Timothy. He's like-minded. He cares for you. He cares for the work of Christ. If you'll notice Nehemiah's reaction to the sad news and the reason for his we would call it an extreme emotional reaction. It's because he cared. It was like this. It was like in the story of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. The man is in a plight, and the priest passes by on the other side. And the Levite passes by on the other side. But it says this, but the good Samaritan, he saw the man. His heart was moved with compassion. And because he cared, 
He went and did something about it. I can tell you, Nehemiah is not the kind of man that could hear that the walls are broken down. The people are in great distress, and he could remain dry-eyed. He was not that kind of man. He had to go do something. If it cost him everything, he had to go do it. Why? He cared. He cared. Listen, indifference may be one of the worst things in the sight of God. Have you, do you remember what God has said in his word about a state of indifference? I want you to look at the screen. Here's a definition of indifference that I have borrowed because I cannot improve on it. Here's what indifference is. Indifference is a neutral attitude to God that is as dangerous as hostility. It is condemned as a rejection of God's love and of the needs of others. An indifferent attitude toward Christ, toward the things of God. Look at it. It's a neutral attitude to God that is as dangerous as hostility. I can tell you this. God's attitude toward indifference is incredibly strong. Jesus said this about a whole church. You're, you're neither hot and you're neither cold. I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold, because you're, but, but you're neither. You're not hot and you're not cold. You're indifferent. I just, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I could be so crude. I'm telling you, that came from the words of Jesus. Red letter in our Bibles. The one who hung on the cross with nails in his feet and his hand crown upon his brow. He said, indifference is so hurtful. It's so hateful to me. I just, I can't stomach it. We're warned in scripture by the writer of Hebrews about indifference toward salvation. How shall we neglect? How shall we escape rather if we neglect so great a salvation? Indifference is not something that we do in a vacuum, not something we do in a corner. Indifference, when a person becomes indifferent, when a church becomes indifferent, they actually become a tool of the devil. When the Reubenites, when Moses, when Moses thought the Reubenites weren't going to go in, they said, we want the land over here. We want our allotment on this side of the Jordan. And, and, they, and he thought they weren't going to go in and help their brothers. Listen how strong Moses' words are. Numbers 32, verse 6. And Moses said to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over to the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eschol and saw the land, they discouraged the hearts of the children of Israel so that they did not go up to the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came from, up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed the Lord. Indifference. And in unbelief, they not only drug themselves down, they drug a whole nation down. An indifferent dad doesn't serve like that in a vacuum. He drags his whole family down. An indifferent wife drags her kids down. And we can drag a whole church down. Indifference. 
You realize that many are in hell today because they're indifference. Luke 16, there was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a beggar named Lazarus full of sores that was laid right outside his gate. He desired to be fed from the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Here's a man that's so numb by his own influence and indifference. There's a man in need right outside his door, and he can't even give him a crumb. Indifference can, can damn a soul. It can wreck a church. Here's a question today. How do you feel about the Lord's interest? How do we feel about God's work? Does it bother us that ministry, the walls of many ministries are broken down? What about the prayer ministry? What about the Word of God ministry? What about Sunday school ministry? What about men's ministry, women's ministry, missions work, evangelism, youth, children, worship, building? Does it bother us that some of the walls are broken down? Let me tell you, when Nehemiah received the report that the walls were broken down, it touched him in his core. It wasn't something he could just do on Sunday and relegate it to to his secular work the rest of the week. He cared about God's interest. What kind of man does God use? God uses a man and a woman in a church who cares deeply. He said, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. With everything in you, love him and love what he loves. God uses the kind of person who cares deeply. Number two, quickly. What kind of person does God use? God uses the man, the church, the person who prays fervently. When Nehemiah heard the sad report, he begins to pray. It's interesting, as you read the first chapter, you realize this is not a man who's throwing up an emergency prayer. This is a man who's comfortable in prayer. This is a man who's familiar with prayer. This is a man who knows the word of God. This is a man who walks with God. You can listen to someone pray. And I'm not talking about the the, the, the fancy words. I'm talking about spirit. I'm talking about spirit. I'm talking about spirit. I'm talking about punch. I'm talking about power. I'm talking about anointing. You can listen to someone pray and know if they really pray. I can tell you this, you can't not pray in private and then get up and pray in public and all of a sudden there'd be some great depth there. No, sir, no, no. Here's a man that prayed in private. Here's a man that, that stayed before God. He said, I wept and I fasted for many, many days. Many days. Let's look at Nehemiah's prayer. What kind of prayer is it? Verse five, and I said... I pray, Lord God of heaven, oh God, an awesome God, you who keep covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. The first thing Nehemiah does is he praises God for who he is, and then he praises him for what he has done. Nehemiah knows that God is the supreme God. He said here, he's the God of heaven. He's the God above all. He's the God that's Lord over all. He's the God that rules from heaven. He's the all-powerful God. Listen, when you're praying to a God like that, mm, good things can happen. Amen? 
He also prays to the great and the awesome God. This, this means that he's a God who's separate in his holy nature. He's an awesome God. He's a God who judges sin. He's a God that needs to be feared and reverenced and obeyed. He's also a faithful God. He keeps his covenant. Listen, he stands by his word. He stands by his blessings and he stands by his judgments. He, he blesses the obedience with, to his word, to his covenant with great mercies and great blessings. Look at his prayer. And then he does something else. Not only does he, in his prayer, does he acknowledge who this God is in his true nature and what he's done. But he does something very significant that I think every church in America ought to be doing this morning. In some level. And that is, he confesses his own sins. And he confesses the sins of his nation. Listen to him. Verse 6. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. We have not kept your commandments and your statutes, nor your ordinance, which you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah acknowledged something that we need to acknowledge today. Here's what he acknowledged. He acknowledged the reason they were in the state that they were in was because of sin. That's the problem, sin. I want you to remember this. Say amen if you're listening. I want you to remember this. The problem is always, always sin. When there is defeat, the problem is always sin. It is always sin. Not half the time, not two-thirds, every single time in the modern church, we think if we can have a cooler worship, if we can have a better image, if we can have a better promotion, if we can have a better whatever, we deal with all the externals. God does not. He deals with the heart. If we'll get our hearts right, if the church of Jesus Christ in America, if we'll get our hearts right, revival can flow like a mighty river, but it's always sin. Not the external. The Lord wants our hearts right. And we get our hearts right by repenting. Listen to what James says. But God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord, side of the Lord, and he will lift you up. It didn't say anything there about a different pulpit or dark lights or bright lights or, or jeans or a suit or a tie or chairs or pews or whatever else. He said, if you get your heart right, I'll pour in such mercy. I'll pour in such grace that it'll lift you up out of sin. It'll lift you out of bondage. It'll lift up the church with a message for the world so the lost can be saved. What kind of man does God use? He uses the man who cares, but he also uses the man who really prays. And then in his prayer, it's a powerful prayer. As you read through Nehemiah, 
You, you, there's these times he just starts praying. He's going along, he's building, and then he just starts praying. He's a man of prayer. And then the third part of his prayer is that he, he pleads for mercy. And he pleads for God's help. Listen to his cry. He's confessed his sin and said, Lord, we, we've blown it. We're in this mess because of our disobedience, our lack of love for you, our lack of obedience to the law of God. And then he says, remember, verse 8, I pray. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive and your prayer to, you, to your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. I, I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. You know what Nehemiah is saying? Listen to me. Nehemiah is saying, I know we're in trouble. I know we've been scattered for 70 years. I know Hannah and I just told me the walls are broken down. The people are in disgrace. There's no safety there. But God, you are the turnaround God. If we'll come back to you, you can restore it. You can bless again. Do you know God's a restoring God? He can turn around any situation. There's nothing too hard for our God. God can raise something out of the ashes and bless it again and put his glory on it. That's the kind of God we serve. But we got to get our heart right with God. Think about this. You and I calling on God is the beginning of the turnaround. The moment you cry out to God in mercy and sincerity, that's the moment your turnaround begins. And he will hear us. He will rescue us. What kind of man and person and church does God use? He uses someone who truly cares. He uses someone who prays fervently. Thirdly, but he also uses someone who serves effectively. Now I'll be brief on this third point. Verse 11, for I was the king's cupbearer. For I was the king's cupbearer. There's a lesson here about leadership and there's a lesson here about stewardship. Now there's not a shortage of people who want to be wall builders, but there's very few who want to be cupbearers. Did you hear me, church? Not a shortage of people who want to build great walls. Very few people want to be the cupbearer. I would say this to us briefly. I would say to us in truth, as true Christians, if we can't keep our secular lives in order, how do we think we can lead the church? How do we think we lead the church? If we can't keep our lawn mowed, uh uh-oh. If we can't keep our house clean, if we can't keep our business affairs in orders, what makes us think that we can take the holy things of God and be effective with them? You're not amening, but I'll amen myself. How you and I, listen, how you and I handle non-spiritual affairs is indicative of how we will handle spiritual things. The words of Jesus, Luke 16. 
He who is faithful in what is least is faithful in what is much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust in what is much. Therefore, if you have been faithful in the unjust, unjust mammon, who will, if you've been unfaithful, I'm sorry, if you've not been faithful in the unjust, unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? Jesus is saying, if you can't handle non-spiritual things with faithfulness, with effectiveness, with diligence, how do you think somebody's going to put a Bible in your hand and you're going to spit out some spiritual principles? It means nothing. You'll be unfaithful in that too. Many want to build great walls. Very few want to be cupbearers. I want to tell you, and, I, and, and I, I almost don't want to say this because of it sounds self-serving, but it's an illustration. It's mine. The greatest compliment I've ever received was from my pastor, who I served six years. And if God hadn't called me to be a senior pastor, I would be happy to be serving him today. After serving him for six years, and God had called me to be a senior pastor, he got up before the church. He gave me the greatest compliment I've ever had. He said, in six years' time, I've never had to ask Brother Charles to do something twice. That's the greatest compliment I've ever received. Because I believe I passed the test of being the cupbearer. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king before he was a great wall builder. Now, the cupbuilder was not just a butler. The cupbearer was a very distinguished person. Listen to this quote. And I quote, As an escort of the monarch to meals, the cupbearer had a unique advantage to petition the king. Not only did the king owe him his life, since the cupbearer tested all the king's beverages for possible poison, thus putting his own life at risk, but he also became a close confidant. Close quote. May the church hear this today. If you ever want to be a wall builder, you need to first learn to be a cupbearer. What kind of man does God use? What kind of woman does God use? What kind of church does God use? Churches who care. Churches who pray. Churches who see the glory in cupbearing. Jesus said the greatest among you was your servant. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve, he said, and give his life for many. You want to be like Jesus? Show up on a work day. Don't see yourself as too great to pick up some paper on the floor. I'm, no, I'm, not, good. I'm not too good to clean a bathroom if it needs to happen. Because the truth is, you never graduate from cupbearing. Great churches are cupbearing churches. Great churches know how to serve them, one another, and they love letting others be first. They're not prideful. They just want to serve and glorify the name of the Lord because they care. I conclude with my last point. I'll let that be my conclusion. What kind of person does God use? God uses the man who waits vigilantly. He is ready to be used. A man, woman, church that is ready to seize the moment. Listen to the words of Nehemiah again. In verse 11, he prays the prayer. 
and I've read that. Then he comes down and he says these words in the very end. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah has prayed. He's wept. He's fasted. He's called on God. And now he's looking for the door. He has prayed. He believes God is going to use him. And he says, grant me mercy before this man because I was the king's cupbearer. I had the audience of the king. He believed that God was going to create an opportunity. And he did. And he did. I want to conclude this service. If you would stand with me and our musicians would come, please. This is, a, this is a call. This is a call to all of us. And I realize that some physically can't come to the altar. We don't want anyone to stumble, our, our elders. Whether, whether you're, this is your home church or not your home church, that doesn't matter. If you're a Christian and you love the work of the Lord... This call is for you. This call is for all of us. And my prayer today is that you would that you would think about Nehemiah. And you think about his heart and the kind of person that God uses. Do you care about the work of the Lord? How much time do you spend in prayer for the work of the Lord? How much time this week have you prayed? Have you spent one minute saying, Lord, bless the word of God as pastor preaches. Give us souls, Lord. Bring encouragement to the saints. Do you care? Do you pray? Do you see yourself as a cupbearer? Or are you like those later on in Nehemiah? It says the nobles wouldn't put their shoulders to the work. Seems to always be this peripheral group that just, they always let somebody else share to the load. But it can't be that way at our church. It can't be that way where we are. It can't be that way. We're all needed. And I realize that not not everyone's gifted to do the same thing, but that's why we're called the body. We need everyone. We need everyone doing what they can do. Now here's the thing. I'll be brief here. When they started building, each one built next to their house. Each one built close to where they were. God's not calling you to go to Africa. He's not calling you to go to South America. He's saying, won't you build here next to your house? Won't you build in this city? Won't you build here? I just want you to see yourself as a wall builder. Just, you're building that wall back. It may be children's ministry. It may be youth ministry. It may be prayer ministry. It may be giving ministry. It may be just encouragement. It may be Sunday school. It may, it may be driving a van. It may be helping out in kids' church. It may be helping build youth ministry. It may, it may help in, you may help in worship or hospitality or greeting. or you, you, There's tons of stuff we can do for the Lord. But my prayer is this, and I'm going to ask everyone to conclude. We're going to conclude in prayer at the altar, and we won't be long. But I, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. Lord, help me to be a wall builder at Trinity Light Church. 
help me to be a difference maker to make a positive difference in this church do you feel that today if you do would you join me for a concluding prayer would everyone join me would you join me just feel this front would you feel this front would you please feel this front God's got a great work for us to do here but we have to commit to being the kind of people that God will use everyone press in Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want you to call up on the Lord right now. I don't want to tell you what to say, but just say something like, Lord, make me a wall builder. Help me to be a part of building your church, Lord. Help me, God, you've talent, you've gifted each of us. Lord, use my gifts for your glory. Help me to use my gifts unselfishly. Help me to use my talents and treasures for a way that will bless the body and build the name of Jesus high and strong in this city. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Just cry to him. Just yield yourself to him as a wall builder, but also as a cupbearer. Oh, we bless your name, Lord. Anoint us as a church to build this work, Lord. Anoint us to build this work, Lord Jesus. Anoint us with your divine presence, O oh God. Oh God, give us help. Oh, give us favor. Give us favor with God and man. Give us favor before your presence and before the men of the city. God, that you would help us to build a work that would glorify your name. Build a work that would glorify you, proclaiming your salvation to all men. We worship your name. We glorify your name. You said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. God, draw people to this church so they can hear the gospel. Let there be a drawing of the Holy Spirit. We glorify your name, Lord Jesus. We glorify you, Lord. We surrender to you on this first Sunday of 2020. We surrender our lives to you. We give our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. Fill our lives with mercy, grace, and love for you and one another, Lord. How wonderful you are, Jesus. What a privilege it is to be a part of this work, to build your work. And Lord, over these months, we're going to see, we're going to see what you're going to do for our church, Lord. Lord, we care about our city. We care about the lost. We care about the quality of ministry. We care about the church. We care about the body. We care about your worship. God, give us thy help, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let us sing. Let us sing a moment.